Mack Sennett's arch rival was Hal Roach, who late in the 20s unveiled an immortal team, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Ironically, as individual comedians, Laurel and Hardy had been around since the movie's early days. Laurel had once starred, but had been reduced to featured player. Hardy had never risen above supporting roles. Then, in 1927, they were accidentally paired, and almost overnight became the movie's most popular comedy team. Today on this special bonus episode of the Laurel and Hardy podcast, I'm joined once again by classic comedy aficionado, Chris Sigan, um, as I wanted to have one last look back at Stan and Babe's silent comedies before we turn away for good and move into the talkies. Um, so welcome back, Chris. Well, thank you, sir. It's good to be back. And it just feels like a watershed moment to be going from the silence to the talkies. You've achieved phase one. It, it, phase one complete. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I've got to say, I'm really excited to be moving into the talkies, but it's not with a little bit of, um, not reluctance is probably the wrong word, but it's, I feel, I feel sad. I feel a little bit of a tinge of sadness to be turning my back on the silent films, because obviously that's where this podcast started. Um, and I've met so many friends, I'd like to call them friends now, including yourself, Chris, through, through the silent films. And it's given me a, a, much better appreciation of of that period um mm-hmm. i liked the silent films before but you know it, i i much much preferred the talkies but I, I really do have i've grown to love these silent films and i think looking at the feedback a lot of listeners have too um it is a really really special um time in the boy's career i don't know if you agree with that chris i do and it's funny because you were talking about missing the era and that was something that stan himself said right like yes he preferred- yeah the silence and you know they were always just done a disservice because they didn't have the opportunity to imprint on us uh and i think for most people uh unless they really kind of get introduced to low and hardy through the talkies and then pursue the silence through youtube or whatever i'm talking not talking about the like the real fans i'm talking about people who are getting to know low and hardy but i would say for most people the introduction would be you know through tv and the classic films that you saw all the time and the silence were just this other era and i think the other problem is that i still know people who just won't watch a silent movie which is which is absurd to me because there's so much art within that right and it's it i think it speaks the person who who won't watch a silent movie just doesn't appreciate that it's just a movie it's just it's just a it's just a different it's a different it's a different language and you're missing out on a lot of stuff you're missing out on uh, you know the crowd you know the wind uh, you know all all of chaplin's prime stuff just you know um wings you know like the amazing amazing films uh just because uh eh, you know they're not talking it's funny uh dave callett um who uh had all day entertainment and he put out a really nice Harry Langdon set a few years ago, a couple sets called American Slapstick. And he went into a, he told me a story where he went in to get funding and he was telling the, the woman at the bank what it was for. And she really didn't understand the notion of silent comedy. And he explained it to her and she went, well, how, how is it a comedy if you can't hear people tell the jokes? <laughs> so, so there's that. So I think, you know, it's, it's actually kind of good that with this, this podcast 
the that you're doing it in chronological order. Yeah. You yeah. know, that you weren't doing a random thing where, oh, we're going to talk about Way Out West and this yeah. week and next week we're going to talk about the importance of derbies and yeah. all these things. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, take, we're taking you on this journey mm. and uh, it's super interesting. And that's a thing, you know, even just watching Serge's new set to yeah. watch the growth over 1927. So I think, yeah. you know, kudos to you for bringing them to the forefront, you know, building a, a, a pretty large listener base yeah who are learning about these things that they may not know about and that your first book is going to be on the silence that's too. right yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and you know that i mean that just is is my you know i have a very linear um view of, of this i can't i couldn't do it sporadically just put you know pulling films here there and everywhere i, I just had to do it in that chronological thing because it, it makes sense to me that way but it also mm-hmm. it also builds a narrative of what's what was happening in the boys career and lives also um, yeah. Very, very much like how the boys wanted to film their, you know, film their pictures chronologically yeah. from start to finish. It just makes sense to me. Um, yeah. But what I also hope, and I've noticed that, that you know, the listener f- uh, figures are going up all the time. I'm, uh, we're attracting new listeners all the time to the podcast, which I'm thrilled about. But equally, I think as we move into the talkies, I, I think more people will start to come to that as well because they are the films mm. that they they love, you know, more so than yeah. the silence. And what I'd really love to be able to do is to to sort of capture those people, and when they're you know waiting for the next episode, they might think, well, hang on, there's there's another thirty four episodes I could listen to about the silence. Yeah. I'll just give that a go. And I know from from feedback that when people listen to the episodes, they then want to go and watch the film. So fingers mm-hmm. crossed that might be a doorway. You know, it might be an introduction to to the silent films for people that haven't yet discovered them. Um, and you know what a treasure trove they have still to discover if that is the case. So, um, so I'm really excited to do this today. You know, just have one final blast at the silent films, and we'll have a, a stroll down memory lane. We'll, we'll just have a, a little walk through the films. We won't go into too much detail um, on each film because we we have covered it. But I just wanted to have one last little stroll through uh, a retrospective of the entire period um, and see where that takes us. If that's okay, Chris. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go strolling. Now, I'll have it. Step this way. Come on, don't get it, Danny. You're always fitting around. So, um, obviously, we started in 1921 with The Lucky Dog. Have you seen the extra footage of The Lucky Dog now on the new Blu-ray? Uh, I have. Um, and, uh, yeah, actually, I'd, I had seen that from uh, John Crail, uh in advance he's right. one of the uh, dancing cuckoos um and through connections i got a chance to see it and uh it was it was, it was pretty spectacular because it does fill that gap it does that yeah. like it looked like lucky dog kind of went through a you know a meat grinder for about a minute <laughs> and a half yes and then all this stuff was gone so to have that gap filled was you know it's not an eye opener in terms of it's just it's just nice to have that film complete and to have it delivered just in time yeah to to get onto the new blu-ray set because it would have been a shame if that didn't happen yes right but um you know i'll just i'll just take a moment to go the, the blu-ray set looks spectacular yeah um i haven't had a chance to talk to you about it uh, since it came out but uh it's really i got no problems with that whatsoever yeah. you know people might want to nitpick over a, a few things a, a typo on a title card or you know, mm. seven frames of viola richard missing that kind of thing <laughs> but um for the most part 
Surgeon Lobster, Blackout yeah. Films did a fantastic job. So shout out to everyone there. Yes. And it's yeah. a great way to go into and just because they're all the early films are really fresh with me right now. Yes. It's, it's you know, I can, I can go into this conversation maybe a little bit more informed than uh, I might That's have a good point. It was almost as if we planned it. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah, so I, I, haven't, I haven't planned anything about this. So. <laughs> well, neither have I, so that's okay. That's, that's all Excellent. good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so so we moved from The Lucky Dog, and obviously 45 Minutes from Hollywood is, is not my favourite film, Um, I have to say. It's not one that I, I revisit very often, although I did watch it the other day on the Blu-ray, Um, <laughs> and it does look pretty spectacular on the Blu-ray as well, yeah. uh, which which is great. Um. It does tell an interesting story about the Hal Roach Studios, though, as obviously it's a Glenn Tryon film where um, Stan and Babe are still kind of in the background. Um, yeah. And this is Roach's attempt at trying to get Glenn Tryon as the new Harold Lloyd. I mean, that was never going to work, was it? <laughs> to be fair. No, you know, although, although Glenn Tryon's really charming in a film called Lonesome. Okay. If you have a chance to see that. It's um very late silent. Uh, I believe I'm going to pronounce the director's name wrong. It's Universal Feature, uh, directed by uh, Paul Feo. Um, but it's very Harold Lloyd. It's like almost a tragic Harold Lloyd story. I'm, okay. I, I'm going off on a, a course for a second where um, he's a lonely office worker in a big city, like a small town boy. He's moved to the big city. He's lonesome. The film's called Lonesome. He meets a girl at, um, I think, Coney Island. Right. who, you know, is also lonesome. So she's gone. And so they have a day together and a spectacular day, but then something happens where they're separated right. and he can't find her, right? right? Because it's pre-cell phone, it's pre-everything, right? And he, he goes back to his lonesome apartment and he's heartbroken. I won't give the ending away, but it's just a, it's a gorgeous film. It captures great footage of, of uh, Coney Island and he's really, really good in it, right? Um, and I think, I think the problem is with him in 45 minutes from Hollywood and the other ones I've seen, like Along Came an Auntie, that kind of thing. He's just not, he's just not made for what he yeah. was asked to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And agreed. And I think it's a bit telling about, you know, what Roach, Roach was kind of struggling a little bit before Laurel and Hardy came along too, mm. right? Like, you know, you think of that really key, and we'll get to this, that really core time in the Roach timeline where, you know, you had Max Davidson, you had Laurel and Hardy, you had Charlie Chase, you had Our Gang, uh, really, and all those shorts are really, really strong, right? Yeah. But then before that, he had the Spat family. Yeah. You know, and, and the Dippy Doodads and, <laughs> and, uh, and these things, right? And so, yeah. you know, Chase and Our Gang were always strong, but it, mm. it's it's... One of those things, as you look back on the silent era in comedy, you like to think that everything's spectacular. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. You know, no. the cream the, the cream rose to the top. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a thing, too, with, you know, there's a whole little bit with Stan and Babe before they were on film together, where Stan was directing yeah. Babe in, in films and things like that and starting to bring his influence into it. Yes. Kind of so, yeah, it's a good point, actually, because, I mean, that 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 whole period of... of um sort of post lucky dog and and kind of the road the road to roach if you like it, mm -hmm. it is is quite a fascinating little period and, and what really interests me so you've got you've got stan there who's who's doing his his um uh, his solo work at roach he sort of so roach kind of steps in and almost gives him his break if you like gets him out of vaudeville yeah. filling in for toto trying to you know trying trying to fill fill in those those films that he's he's got to make 
but then he's yeah. let go from Roach. He's got because Stan's got all this baggage with May, um, and mm-hmm. just too much hassle. I think Stan's turning to drink because he's he, you know he's struggling to cope with with the pressures of of May. Um, and then his good old mate Percy Pembroke comes along and and introduces him to Joe Rock. And Joe Rock is yeah. this kind of like savior. So he brings him in, you know, he takes him takes him off Fordville, um, and they manage to then start making films. And it looks like it's it's getting getting some traction. And then, and then of course the rug gets pulled out because he's made his films in about what five months, seven months or something, and yeah. he's got no work for the rest of the year. Um, so yeah. he's he's really on his on his on his uppers again. And then he gets another chance from Roach and he goes off and he's the writer-director then, of course, and he goes to Roach's writer-director because Joe Rock doesn't want him to be in front of the cameras because it gives the game away that he's pocketed the money uh, for 12 months worth and all the rest of it. Um, And then Rock sues Stan for for appearing in front of the camera. Roach counter-sues Rock, freezes his assets. The whole thing is dropped and we, we go on happily and, you know, Stan starts to build from there as an actor and then equally you get babe on the other side of things he comes across from jacksonville mm-hmm. into california it's going great playing alongside jimmy Aubrey, and he's got what five years with larry seaman um including the wizard Oz. <laughs> but let's not mention yes. that one <laughs> boy boy that's a film i want to throw up on a big screen <laughs> in front of an audience one day but then things seem to be going great for babe but then babe starts struggling with gambling addictions um mm-hmm. and uh and then who comes to babe's aid but Joe Rock, he's he brings yeah. him on board and gets him out of trouble, lends him cash and gets him on the straight and narrow again. Um, and then Babe ends up at Roach. And it's just a really interesting sort of juxtaposition. These two guys coming from totally different places, thrown together, will end up together. And their little funnel they come through is Joe Rock. It's it's just interesting. I find it fascinating. Yeah, it's it's funny because um, I'll just on a, on a kind of a personal note, the industry I work in, which is advertising, you realize it's a very small, it's a large but small field, mm. right? And you know, every every opportunity I've had is through specific connections, yeah. right? So everyone's kind of interconnected in certain ways. So you know, definitely this idea that Joe Rock and Hal Roach are are like the key players in that, yeah, is 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 an interesting one and and kind of not that surprising. Um, you'd forgotten there. Stan actually had three uh, gigs at Roach. He yes. had 1918. He had like yes. 23, 24 when he was doing Killer Cure and all of those. And then he went to Rock. And yeah. for the life of me, two things. One is I can't remember. And, and Rob, you can edit this out later and Rob Stone can correct it. And then you can. Say <laughs> uh, but but I, I think it was uh, Jesper Robbins or, or uh, Bronco Billy that was uh, producing the series for Stan where he did the pest and the yeah. egg and all of those. Right. Yeah. Um, and then he went to Roach. I'm not sure why that ended, except I know that they started doing, I think they just ran out of money because they did that really weird film called mixed nuts. That's right. Yes. Where, all the outtakes. Where they took, they took outtakes from like 1917 Yeah. and it's just, it's a different, it's hard film to watch. Right. Cause it's just <laughs> like it jumps all over the place and the quality's all over the map. Yeah. And then Stan did his, his, his second tenure at, at Roach and dur- turned out some really, really nice stuff, right? And then including some of those great parodies that he carried over into the Joe Rock era, right? But yeah. it seems like Stan was always just a victim of other people running out of money too, yes. right? No, it's interesting stuff. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I don't, I think Jess Robbins was only, was he only there for the lucky dog? And then did he go on? May have been. It might have been for, for, yeah. for the Yeah, I know, I know, interesting, Robbins did have a stint at Roach as well because there's a great bit in Rob Stone's book 
funny enough mentioning Rob, um, where he wrote like a seven-page letter to Warren Doan, the general manager, complaining about how um, the studios had messed with his films and his name's got to go on that film and you've released it when it wasn't ready. I could do an easy fix. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so he, he definitely ended up at Roach at some point, um, but then he kind of packed his bags and, and uh, went off in disgust. Um, I think Percy Pembroke, who was one of Stan's best friends at the time, I think he might have directed a few at Joe Rock because um, he was. You're, he I think you're right, worked yeah. with him. Yeah, and then he then he ended up at Roach. So yeah, it's it's a really fascinating little period, actually, really really fascinating. But by 1925, both of them end up at Roach, um, mm-hmm. and and then we get them in the All Stars stable, uh, 45 minutes from Hollywood, which yeah, it's a Best moving on from that one as quick as as quick as possible. Babe is great in it. I think he's he's fantastic oh, and he he really Babe's lifts great the in film. Everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then we come. I mean, this is a pivotal film. Duck Soup is just. Oh yeah. I mean, that's classic Stan and Ollie. Yeah. But to all intents and purposes, yes, they look slightly different, but I mean, fantastic film. It's like they jumped ahead to uh, second hundred years. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Because it's, you know, the characters aren't quite there. But if you look at, you know, Second Hundred Years, which was like a dozen years into their tenure yeah. together, or yeah. a dozen films, I should say. Yeah. And it's just like, that's where it's almost there. Yes. Right? Not yeah. quite. You know, stands a bit silly, that kind of thing. But it yeah. really is, like, shockingly a Laurel yeah. and Hardy film. So yeah. if you're talking about pivotal films in their career. Yes. That's, yeah. That's the one, I think. Yeah. I think if it was going to make if, if if the whole chronology was going to make sense, I think you'd have Duck Soup, and then you'd forget the rest until Do Detectives Think. And yep. then you'd, you'd forget the next one. You'd forget <laughs> Flying Elephants, definitely. You'd put that way back yeah. <laughs> after 45 <laughs> minutes. And, and yeah, and then you'd come straight into Second Hundred Years uh, because it, they yeah. just, they would, they would just flow on. But we can't understand how on earth they let them go from Duck Soup. And just let it drift off into the wilderness for about eight films or something like that. Strange. Yeah, and and it's weird. And I was just going to say something. I, one of the reasons I'd like to see Hats Off is because it's between Second Hundred Years and um, Others oh, Putting Pants and Philip, but then yeah. uh, The Battle of the Century. Yeah. Right. And the leap between from them in Second Hundred Years and Battle of the Century, yeah. two films later. Yeah. It's like they're so gelled. Yes in battle of the century and so not quite there right and i would love to see just what the performance is like are they truly nailed yes in yeah in hats off or if there's still a little bit of that second hundred years vibe in stan's performances the stills indicate no the stills indicate that they're pure laurel and hardy it does um yeah but um boy that's one reason to see that one because that again you're talking about your pivotal films yeah right that would be Besides, do detective things just for the costumes. That would be like, yeah, probably the the the. Yeah, but I'm getting ahead of myself. No, 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 no. It it absolutely looks to be the pivotal moment. Um, and you could, and again, you could kind of understand Pants on Philip coming before Hats Off. Um, after mm-hmm. second after second hundred years, you know, because the characters aren't quite there. It's they're there or thereabouts. But um, yeah, from Hats Off. They've got the costumes, they've got the derbies, they've got everything. So far, so good. It wasn't so far. We just came across the street. Ring the bell. It wasn't so far. <clears throat> no, so, I mean, just going back a few films, you know, the the, the Pathé the releases 
I think the more you watch them, there's always something to appreciate in there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I said many times, I love Sailors Beware. I think that's a really strong comedy. I think Stan is great, and even though he's not, you know, the Stanley character, if you will, mm -hmm. um, it's 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 a lovely short uh, with lots of laughs in it. Um, and again, you know, you've got things like um, Love Him and Weep with May Bush and Finlayson, because so that feels very very familiar territory. Well, that's a terrific film. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the the more I watched them when I was going over the Blu-ray, mm. the more I thought how weak they are. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, compared to the Roach output at the time, compared to Charlie Chase, compared to Our Gang, compared to um, Max Davidson. Right. Okay. So I think that 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 and you know, one of the challenges is not having those really likable characters at yes. the core. Yes. Right. Max Max Davidson is a, is a likable character. You had Leo McCary driving that bus, so he had really strong guidance, and all the best series had really strong minds behind them. So yeah. Max Davidson with with or Max Davidson had Leo McCary, our gang uh, with Bob McGowan, Charlie Chase himself, along with uh, Leo McCary. But it's just like no mother to guide them on these, yeah, <laughs> on yes, these shorts, yeah. Yeah. right? And you know you'll see things like let's say for lack of a better phrase uh with love and hisses which is just this meandering yeah thing yeah. right yeah. so um again i'm jumping around a little bit versus going kind of like oh, film by right. film. but it's it's one of those things where you see those early ones like slipping wives right and love them and weep where they're based on the all-star yeah like priscilla dean That's or right. um may bush and that may bush is the reason why Love and Weep is spectacular. Yes, agreed. Right. Yep. Like, um, you know, I don't know how much comedy other than her early Senate stuff she did before she became a has-been who would appear in a Hal Roach all-star thing. <laughs> um, you know, working with Von Strohan, but uh, yeah, like she just eats eats up the scenery, you know, yeah. and she's pure made made bush at that point. Yeah. And uh Finlayson is great in it, Stan is great in it, yeah, babe's in there. Yeah. But he, anyone could have been in there, but just as this trio of of Stan Finlayson and May Bush, it's like yeah, that's powerhouse. So that's kind of pivotal yeah. too because it brings May West or May West, sorry, May Bush into the fold. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's just a shame she disappears again for so many films because we don't see her again. I think till uh, Unaccustomed as we are. I don't think she's in again, is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, and you should talk a... about that film sometime in the future. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, not not that far away. Only only a few weeks. No. <laughs> But then she's got that voice. I mean, you know, she she brings that May Bush voice to the oh, to their great. first talking. It is, it is great, and it, and this is the thing. It's it, the, the talkies are going to be really in, ex, exciting to look at because all of the voices I think are just perfect. You know, there's not a single voice mm -hmm. amongst you know all the the stock company and everybody. They're just it, they're just made for talkies, really. But uh, but we we, oh, yeah, we but... are we, we're running away with ourselves. We're Oh, uh, well, I told you that was going to happen. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's no use getting excited. You're making a mountain out of a molehill. Certainly, li life isn't short enough. So, uh, I would suggest putting pants on Philip. Now, th that is... Uh, we sort of spoke about hats off. We can't really talk about hats off because we, we obviously nobody's seen it, but it looks to be mm -hmm. pivotal. And then it moves to putting pants on Philip, which is a great comedy. I think it's a really strong yes. short um yeah. and many people obviously hal roach and stan um themselves said this was the first laurel and hardy film this was the first one 
Um, mm -hmm. And where do you stand on that, Chris? Do you, do, you, do you think that was the first Laurel and Hardy film? or I, I think it depends on a couple of things. First of all, I'll go back and I'll say, I think Do Detectives Think is mm. closer to that. Yeah. Right. When, you know, when, when I was a kid and, you know, collecting eight milliliter films and if you got a copy of Do Detectives Think, you would go, okay, this is a Laurel and Hardy movie because they've got the costumes on, yeah. traditional garb, et cetera, except for Stan's hair. But it's those things where you go, when you look through the list, right, it's the first one since Duck Soup where they're actually a team. Yes. Yeah. Right. Where they're, yeah. they're working together and they're working as the same. It's like if you took the characters from Duck Soup and you went, Okay, you fought the forest fire, and now you become you went to detective school. Now you're detectives, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. okay, and then it's 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 those same characters versus sailors beware and love and hisses, where they're yeah. at odds with each other. Stan's playing more of the, you know, the fae character that kind yeah. of thing. He still yeah. has you know those characteristics right up until right up until putting plants on Philip, arguably, yeah. right? But yeah. um, do detectives think is 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 a super pivotal film? Yeah. As for Putting Pants on Philip being the first Laurel and Hardy movie. I think I read Stan say somewhere, or I, I might have just surmised this, that I think it's the first one where they went, okay, we can't separate these guys and have them work with other people now. Right? Yes. They're no longer all-stars. Yes. Right? The, the chemistry is there. We recognize that they're equals. Even in uh, second hundred years, it was the comedy trio of... Stan Laurel, Oliver Hardy, and Jimmy Finlayson, right? Yeah. Whereas here, it's like, okay, well, that, you know, that's, I think, why Finlayson left pretty yes. much, right? I don't think he's in any films after Hats Off, right? For a long time. No, I think, it's, I um, think, is it Liberty's the first one he comes back? Yeah, he's, he's missing yeah, for so quite that's a like, while. That's like a dozen films later, right? Just because yeah. it's like, well, I'm done, right? So <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's really easy to go, yeah, putting pants on Philip to everyone's eyes, mm. Roach. Leo McCary, Stan, Babe, whoever. Yeah, yeah, this is this is it. Even though Hats Off, you would think, because that got so much promotion, right? That was yes. really sold as yeah. Laurel and Hardy, not as the zany all-stars. Yes, right? yeah. So those th if you look at those three films in a row, which are Hats Off, Putting Pants on Philip, and Battle of the Century, that's just explosive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that. that's a one, two, three punch of... Laurel yeah. and Hardy amaz amazingness, right? Yes. And if you were in, like, if you were going to theaters at the time, that would be when your socks would be blown off. Yeah, right. Yeah. By going, I think I think it might not be because you'd also be seen because they Pathé released them at different times. Yeah. It's like you'd, also, you'd also be seen flying elephants at the same time. <laughs> um, but but it's like what they did with those three films. Yeah, it was a real turbo boost, wasn't them. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's them for the next 25 years. So you were just talking about when you when you said that you you seem to remember hearing somewhere that uh putting pants on Philip was like the first one where they say we've got to gel these two together. I think mm -hmm. I think what it was, I think uh, I use this in my, uh, in my in my essay in John McCabe's book, one of John McCabe's book, he mentions that where Stan and Roach recollected that this was the first film the first laurel and hardy film mm -hmm. prior to that neither stan nor babe wanted to be part of a team they they were not comfortable with it stan wanted to mm -hmm. try and still be a solo comedian if he could and babe was just not confident that he was going to be able to partner with stan laurel um so by the time they get to putting pants on philip mccabe says that this was the film where 
Stan realised that actually this was where he belonged. This yeah. was the team that he belonged with. He was better with Babe Hardy. He always knew that he was better with somebody else, I think, but Finally. Yeah, he mentioned that I think in, in one of the books. Yeah, yeah. This this was the point where he thought, yes, I am part of a team. This is the way forward. So that I think that's why, to them, this was the first Laurel and Hardy film because it was it was their actual realization that this is where we go from here. So everything else after yeah. that is definitely Laurel and Hardy. So uh, that makes yeah. sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Stan hadn't figured out over the course of you know from forty five minutes at Hollywood to Sugar Daddies that. He wasn't going anywhere as a solo comedian. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, then exactly. his his hopes were maybe a little bit too high to resist the idea of pairing up with with Babe. <laughs> I'd never heard the thing about Babe being insecure, but it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, apparently, like you know, nights before the decision, I'm trying to think who who told me this. Um, it's definitely one of the episodes, but Babe was like pacing the room. Can you know? Mm -hmm. can, can I do this? Can I actually be a partner to Stan Laurel? Can I can I be a because um, obviously he's been quite happy to be a supporting comedian for hundreds of films. I mean, you know, 200 yeah. odd comedies, but this was really something quite different. And I think it just kind of shook him a little bit. That's really interesting because, you know, they could have done a thing like Harry Lang did, did so many films with Vernon Dent, mm. right? Where that, if you look at Saturday, we talked about this thing last, one of the first mm. times we talked, you know, Saturday afternoon with Harry Langdon. Yeah. You know, they're they're doing a Laurel and Hardy film before Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Right. So that that thing was set. And, you know, arguably Babe could have fallen into that role. Yeah. But we're glad he didn't. And uh it it's interesting because he he fulfills such a like first of all, it speaks, I think he must have had a lot of admiration for Stan. Yeah. To go, can I can I step in and work with this man? Yeah. Right. Who who crafts the gags, who who drives the bus. He had done that with Seaman. Right. You know, but more, much more as a second fiddle. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Seaman obviously respected Babe a lot. He, I think Babe directed one of his films. Yeah. Uh, one of the features or co directed, but that Babe would be fearful of it and then just find that niche of, of mm. okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be the control guy or necessarily the creative guy, but I'm going to be creative in terms of I bring my take on this character and my performance chops to it yeah right and um you know i'm i'm glad you know i'm glad that nobody's egos or fear got in the way of this happening yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely i mean it's interesting as well I, I, again I, I i remember talking to rob stone about this right back in episode one um, because i found this really fascinating that we have we have this this image of babe hardy in, in sort of in laurel hardy law if you like where he he turned up for the day he did his he did his shoot and he was off to the golf course you know and he mm -hmm. wasn't really interested in the the filmmaking process beyond beyond the action which yeah. which is absolutely right but you kind of left feeling that he it perhaps wasn't in in his skill set or something that he just he wasn't able to do that maybe he was just an actor but actually when you trace babe's history back to even the vim days mm -hmm. um, there was a, an article in one of the trade papers talking about uh, Babe Hardy um, is now sort of, I think it was directing his own crew in, yeah. in in the Vim Studios. And it was talking about the Babe Hardy crew and this, you know, and and how uh, he was really responsible in driving that unit forward. And that's, that really amazed me because that, that is not the image that I had of Babe Hardy. I thought he was just, and I say just, uh, he was an actor who turned up, did his work, and that mm -hmm. was the limit of his expertise, you know, not with no detriment to, to, to him as a person for that. But but th that just sort of showed me that 
actually he could do it. He could bring things to the table if he wanted to do. Oh, yeah. He could direct action if he needed to. But he was more than happy to let Stan just drive it. And he could sit back and, and I, to be honest, I think that probably suited him better. Yeah, well, I think it's that might be the lore. It's an easier story to tell. Yeah, right. Yeah. That you know, Stan's the genius, and and you know, Babe's the guy who comes in and you know yeah. does his stuff and leaves. Right. Yeah. I would imagine they must have had some really serious conversations about gags and things like that. It wouldn't just be Babe picking up a script at the beginning of the day and going, "Thanks for the script, Stan." Like I would, I would imagine that much as the way they're on screen yeah. that there had to be a chemistry in terms of you know not a lennon and mccartney thing yeah but definitely a thing where they would they would talk about what the character should do they, they must have been engaged far more i think you know they would get into you uh you direct on on stage right mm. uh cause you can't have three directors right like yeah. you have the director then you have stan directing the director yeah um stan in the editing room stan driving the gag us but uh, babe must have been in with the gag man uh i don't necessarily buy this idea that you know he couldn't you know they held off all his shots his exasperation shots to the end of the day so he could get to the golf course <laughs> you know maybe to a point but i like to think he was more engaged than that's that. a nice story isn't it yeah but I th yeah, I, yeah, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't i don't buy that i really don't i think maybe maybe once or twice you know but i think that's yeah probably... Yeah, exactly. I think he'd figure it out by it's like wait a second <laughs> you're holding off these shots until I'm really exasperated, aren't you? <laughs> Was ever thus. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think I think Babe needs to have, and then you think about how how much experience he had in films over Stan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was in oh, yeah. over two hundred comedies, um, yeah. whereas Stan, well, he probably had. I don't know what twenty or something. I don't know. It was certainly a handful yeah. compared to what Babe was doing. So the amount of experience and the amount of gag knowledge that Babe would have had in his locker, he's not going to just yeah. think, "Yeah, you just tell you tell me what to do." I'm not going to I'm not going to chip anything in. I've got nothing to you know. I was going to say also makes him just the consummate film actor too. Yeah, you know that that Babe knows how to work a camera. Yeah, yeah. Probably like Chaplin can maybe work it up as well as he can. Mm. You know. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Babe knows how to work a camera. Oh, the best, just the best. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, so they move on and they, they move on in some style from putting pants on Philip and Battle of the Century is is obviously a classic and it, it it's one of those films, I think, that people who don't know Laurel and Hardy all that well seem to know that pie fight. Um, mm -hmm. The interesting thing I, I picked up on Battle of the Century, though, was um, we all, I say we all, most people know it from that pie fight. That that's what it's kind of famous for. It was the the pie fight to end all pie fights. But actually, when yeah. that when that was filmed, when it was made, it was all about the boxing match. It was the Gene yeah. Gene Tunney or Gene Dempsey. Um, Jack Tunney, Dempsey, Gene Tunney. I think. Yeah. Thank you. Tunney Dempsey. <laughs> I'm showing my boxing ignorance, uh, but yeah, yeah exactly. it, it was the the Dempsey Tony fight. You know that was the big deal, um, and that was what that film was really known about. And now it's the pie fight. Um, but what I, what I loved about that, as well as a little aside, is the, how excited that everybody was at the studio for this this boxing match. Because obviously they were all mm -hmm. say obviously they, they, there was a lot of boxing fans. Leo McCary's father was a boxer, I think, and H.M. Walker was obviously a sports reporter originally. Um, and so yeah. and, and Hal Roach loved his sports. So they were all um, 
I think I was reading the papers again, and they they were trying to get together a private plane that they were going to fly across and all of them together, all the boys day out to watch this fight. I don't know if it ever came about. I'd love to think that it did because it sounds you know yeah. like a re- real <laughs> real load of fun. But uh, yeah, it was big news that fight. Big news. Mm-hmm. I know that fight was. I hadn't heard about them all going out there though. That's like a fun yeah story. yeah yeah. It was certainly it was certainly planned. It was it was planned. Um, what what do you think about Lead Century now that we've seen the extra reel? Did it add oh, add I, much for you? Oh yeah, it was interesting because I saw that for the first. I got I was lucky I got to see it for first time on a big screen. Oh wow! Right, because um, we showed it at the Toronto Film Silent Film Festival when it right. first came out, and it was, you know, how often do you get to see some fresh Laurel and Hardy? I mean, we've been lucky with you know we we're talking you and I were talking the other day about the telescope piece in the promotional film with the telescope it's like oh yeah. wow or yeah. the um you know the various foreign language versions but to see this film come together and see like some really wonderful stuff like this all the stuff with the banana peel leading yeah. up to it you know yeah. stan getting bonked on the head and having that you know giant bump on top of his head kind of thing <laughs> That's um right, yeah. You know, yeah. and just falling asleep. You know, he does this Harry Langdon piece where he gets on the head and he just falls asleep, right? <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's just it's just delightful. So I think it, it adds immeasurably to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just it just you know because a pie fight on its own hmm. is funny, but you know when you have it kind of led into yes, well, um, yeah. it's just, and there was like lots of nice stuff in the pie fight too. Yeah, that wasn't there in the first place. It's just a, yes. it's just a better because it's funny because I was watching when we we're um, getting ready to watch to talk about Angora Love. I watched the um, Robert Youngson version in oh, right. the Perils of Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, and you know Youngson always did a great job, but he mm. he squeezed these things down to their essence. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and just to give it more of that Laurel and Hardy timing with the pie yeah. fight too, you know, a little bit more breathing room, a little bit more personality um, really helped a lot. So, you know, again, amazing. That thing was hiding in plain sight for so long. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You know? That's right. And um, I'd love to know what happened to that other bit of footage with Eugene Paulette. Maybe yeah. that'll show up someday. Yeah. It's got to somewhere, hasn't it? It's got to be somewhere um, just to complete the, the picture. It would be lovely. In terms of characterization, this really is the final kind of, piece you know for, for them to, yeah. to actually set off on the right road putting pants on philip as we said was was great um but they just weren't stan and ollie but here and i think for the rest of their careers they are now stan and ollie uh yes things will change oh, yeah. certain things will you know creep well, in. they always evolve right like yeah. the characters evolve a lot over 15 years yeah like the, during the course of the the roach years but um except for babe's eye makeup you could put this anywhere in the chronology. Babe's eye makeup. Now work. that is niche. That is, yeah, that is really niche. <laughs> <laughs> who, who's, who's watched these movies too many times? <laughs> who's the bigger nerd now? That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Babe's oh, I didn't know the competition. <laughs> it's got really heavy eyeliner on there for some reason. But yeah, no, no, you could you're take right. Battle of the Century and put it in after, you know, Should Merry Men Go Home, and it would make sense. Yes. Right? It wouldn't be jarring, right? Yeah. Whereas if you did that with Call of the Cuckoo, it would be. Yeah, that's just like this is fully formed. This is it, and it's and it's it's beautiful because they are a pair. I mean, Babe is the manager, Stan is the fighter. They have a reason to be together. Yeah, right. They're equally important to the film. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. same with putting pants on Philip. You know, they have reasons to be together, and after a while, you know, those reasons to be together don't exist anymore. 
you know yeah. you look at the next film yeah. i was gonna talk about leave them leave them laughing right which is the first um the first rooming board yeah or rooming house short right? yes so that's like right sharing a bed in a rooming house right yeah there's no now in that film there's no reason for them to be together yeah they're just they're two just guys sharing a bed yeah. right and, and, and yeah. i think that really so that makes that a pivotal film right yes it, that's a good point all of a sudden you know they're it's not like you know second hundred years where they're sharing a jail cell yeah. or something like that it's just like they're friends forever yes at that yeah. point right yeah. yeah and they always have been you know there's a jarring moment in unaccustomed as they are when when you know all he says to may bush you know, why i've known this boy for years and you're going how many years how did you meet <laughs> <laughs> you know that's, that's where my brain went with that but yeah it's like everything after that you know finishing touch soup to nuts you're darn tootin'. they're yeah. just they're yeah. together that's it right? yeah you don't need a reason yeah. absolutely yeah. and leave them laughing actually uh, that is that is a really pivotal film because the mgm um executives they screened leave them laughing and they were all hysterical they thought it was the best thing ever so from from that point on they were absolutely determined that stan and ollie were going to be you know together don't don't care what you think these guys are it you will build a team around these now and that is it forget it you know it's a done deal they were really really over overboard with with praise for leave them laughing they thought it was fantastic so um yeah a real turning point for them in terms of the the distributors certainly isn't that swell um, and then finishing touch right after that. And now I love finishing touch. I've said this before many times. Mm-hmm. That I think is probably my favorite. Um, if I had to choose an atoll um, silent myself, yeah. I think finishing touch would be it. Cause I just love it from, from the very okay. first moment when they skip off that tr- truck, there's yeah. everything about it is just adorable. I just love it. Love it to death. Well, it's fantastic. Adorable is a good word, but yeah, just the energy, right? Like, Oh, we're going to go about our day now. <laughs> yeah. like that's, but that's, it's, it's weird because these two films, right. Really set the tone for future films. Like even laughing, we all the boarding house ones like Angora yeah. love and laughing gravy and all those shit, the chimp. Yeah. Um, they go boom. Yeah. And then the finishing touches like, uh, you know, busy buddies and toad in a hole and yeah. dirty work. Music box, right? Yeah, music box, exactly. Uh, so you know, it's it's that thing where they're almost kind of instantly finding things that will work for them going forward. Yes, right. It's going, you know, you know, what if what if we do this? What if we do that? Right. So you have a lot of kind of really pivotal films happening at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, you know the, the the thing with the finishing touches it shows that it shows them and it shows us that actually. They don't need a reason to be together. They don't need yeah. a plot. They just need a few props, and they will carry that film through to right to the end and just make you laugh. It doesn't matter, you know. They can just make you laugh with anything. And yeah. uh, R- Randy's always said, you know, they are very good with props. Not everybody is, but Stan and Babe are always good with with anything that was lying around. They can make you laugh with it. Just fantastic. well, exactly. Right. And I think if you were to compare this to like Smithy. Or like you know that yeah. uses you know stand solo that uses a lot of this would be like night and day right I've never I've never watched them you know back to back but first of all I, I think because you've got both of them using the props and um, you know just playing off each other right like Babe is a lot more interesting for Stan to play off than Finlayson yeah in Smithy right yes you know it's yeah. funny you're, you're talking about you're talking about props who else would do that thing in Going Bye Bye where they have the posies in their hand <laughs> for like. Yeah. A third of the film, they're holding yeah. this bouquet of flowers and passing in their 
And you don't even like, I think it took it like the 10th time I saw it before I noticed it. Right? It's just like, <laughs> they never let go of those flowers. Yeah. Right? And it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's brilliant and so subtle. You know, so yeah, their yeah. use of props. Yeah, is love fantastic. That. I think Harold Lloyd did that, didn't he? In um, Speedy, was he Speedy? Um, yeah, Speedy. When he had he had a bouquet of flowers, he was going to take to, he had to deliver them to somebody, and then within, okay. a sec, within seconds, he had them trapped in that door, and they got ripped off. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but see, that's the difference, right? Like Harold Lloyd will do. Like, there's your there's your joke, right? It's just yeah. like flowers get destroyed. I haven't seen Speedy in a long time, so I might be getting it wrong, but. Um, yeah, guess the flowers, they get destroyed almost immediately. It was pretty quick. It was yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. 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 Joke over. Laurel and Hardy stretch it for six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and right. still, they get their legs ripped off and they're still holding the flowers. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. There's everything from soup to nuts, folks. Come and get it. Um, Soup to Nuts, another pivotal film. Another pivotal Ooh. film. Soup to Nuts, we have the um, the the face in the cake and Leo McCary shouts to Babe, slow, hold it, hold yeah. it. Don't do anything. Just slowly bring your face up and look at the camera. You know, and that is a massive, massive trait for, for Babe to take on board um, yeah. and use again and again. Leo McCary's influence on the boys, you know, from all this period... It, you, you you just cannot underestimate how how important he was uh, to them. You know he was just oh, yeah. th that style of comedy is it's just sewn through everything, isn't it? Weaves through everything that they do, and especially something like that bringing it bringing the pace right down, right right down. Well, yeah, because because Leo McCarry really drove the bus at the Roach Studio yeah. for you know he he designed the Charlie Chase series. Right. Um, that's totally personality driven. That kind of the moment he figured out that Laurel and Hardy worked better slowly than the jackrabbit thing of mm. Sailor Beware or something like that or Flying Elephants. It's like, well, let's see what we can do. Let's make it real slow. Right. And that's you know, yeah. sometimes people complain that certain films, my yeah. personal favorite, Silent, is too slow. But, you know, that's that's why they work, you know, because yeah. it's personality and that's the way their brains acted. Right, yeah. like you know, yeah. if Babe's gonna fall in a if Babe's gonna fall into a, a giant cake, he's not gonna get up and go. Ugh. He's gonna go, Ugh. yeah, okay, yeah. 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 this again, you yeah. know. And we talk about pivot, pivotal moments and pivotal um, things happening. You know, Leo McCary coming into the boys' lives and the boys' career. Again, really pivotal because obviously he took over from F. Richard Jones when he left the studio, and and Jones was was hailed as as this you know genius. He was actually described as a mm -hmm. genius in film. I just I would have been fascinated to know where where he would have taken the the, the characters if they would have taken the character because obviously McCary was the one that actually allegedly brought them together and sort of pushed them together as a team. You know, if if that yeah. had happened, what would have happened to Stan and Ollie? Would anything have you would have had a, a lot more of flying elephants? Probably, yeah, probably. You, you would have flying elephants until 1929, and then it'd yeah. be over. Yeah, you know, talkies would come in and they'd go yeah. off on their separate way or something. I think yeah. absolutely, like because yeah. again, Stan, Stan being the genius that he was, mm. but it took him a long time. Like he was in films yeah. like eight nine years, yeah. right before he figured this out. Right, That's right. Um, he wasn't going to get there on his own. You know, and then so some so through collaboration, I don't think Leo McCary went, Okay, Stan, you do this, 
shut yeah. up and do it. It's like, yeah. let's work it out together. Cause I think there's a ton of res- mutual respect there, but it, it without Leo McCary, it never, never would have happened. No, no, absolutely it's right. Like sugar daddies forever. And and saying yeah. that as well, you you could take that a step. You could take that a step back, and, and you look at, you know, how influential F. Richard Jones was with Stan. So it really was a collaboration. So, you know, Stan yeah. Laurel, the the artist, the director. You know, that was a collaboration between all his vaudeville and his musical training with Carno. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got F. Richard Jones's influence as a director and a writer, and then you've got Leo McCary as a director and 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 a, and a sort of a, a comic creator, comedy creator. It's it all it all snowballs, isn't it? And and produces this wonderful product, which is Laurel and Hardy. It's just a, if you take any one of those pieces out, what do yeah. we, what are, what are we left with? Are we left with the same kind of? And I don't think we are. I think we would be looking at a totally no. different animal altogether. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. It is, it is fascinating. Tell me that again. So, and, and then we've got, so we move from Soup to Nuts and we've got your Don Tooting, or Tooting. I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. British, aren't I? Toronto and Tooting. Tooting. You're Don Tooting, sir. <laughs> you're darn Tooting. Well, they're good with the American accent. You're darn Tooting. You're darn Tooting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, but, and again, I mean, Randy would say that's a pivotal film. That's his. That's his mm-hmm. at all silent because this is where we really um, take a deep dive into the relationship of Laurel and Hardy, where they start with a nice job. They've got digs. They've got money, and suddenly throughout the whole thing, they lose everything. But yeah. they left with. But they left with each other, and they're still yeah. happy, and that's great, you know. And that is a really pivotal thing because the relationship is Laurel and Hardy. You don't have it if you don't have the relationship. Well, you know, what, what could be more symbolic than them walking off wearing the same pair of pants at the end (laughs) (laughs) in terms of that, you know, I, I can't disagree. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because I wouldn't necessarily go there because you're seeing bits of that in leave them laughing and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's, and you know, you're right. The kind of the, the, the downfall of them, because the thing with Laurel and Hardy films, they never have a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's yeah. ultimately the, the deal is there's, there's no happy ending to everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're back again. Right. Yeah. So this idea that they're, they're good enough to be in this band at yeah. the beginning. Right? <laughs> that's idea. How did um, that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Boy, that's a film I wish they did a, a sound on disc for. I'd yes. love to see that with a, a yeah. really good score. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it has, it's, I think it's the second reciprocal destruction film after battle of the century so yes i think you're right idea that idea back in right and um you know there's just so many nice touches in that you know like uh the the thing with with babe counting down like (laughs) by stomping his foot and then stan would come in and then he they would get mad and then you know they brought in the the drunk stranger and then he would count them in but then babe would put his foot down and be embarrassed and you know laugh at himself kind of thing it's just like beautiful character touches in them throughout (laughs) And yeah. I said I said this um, uh, on that episode. I, I spoke with uh, Ben Modell and Neil Brand about you Don Tootin because of the musical nature of it. Such a mm-hmm. brave film to make as a silent film. I mean, I know they got no other option. You know, there, there was yeah. <laughs> they couldn't just decide. Oh, we'll make this as a silent. But such a like Leave Him Laughing was a, a really brave film to make because that's all about laughter, and you can't hear the laughter, which is part of the yeah. contagious element. You know, Tootin is all about 
the sound and I say the stamping and the timing and the the different yeah. gags with the the horns and all of that sort of stuff. Um, well, I wonder it if it was. Yeah, I wonder if it was meant to do that. I'm, again, I'm looking at your fine list you put down. It's a couple films later before they get to Habeas Corpus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's quite it's a few. A little way off, yeah. So you know, it might have been a little bit premature, but I wonder if that was the original yeah. intent. Because Neil, I think Neil Brand, I haven't seen it in a while, but I think he did a really brilliant. It was an excellent. Yeah, he did a really yeah, good yeah, soundtrack yeah. to it. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, it and, just uh, elevates that film so much. Yeah, because I, I, I watched when when I first wrote an essay on your Don Tootin, I, I, I um, I watched the copy that I've had for for years and years. I think it was in the Universal set, and it was all right. I thought, yeah, you know, that's, it's okay. But a lot of the gags kind of just missed. Um, and yeah. then and then I, I remembered the silent. Um, was it the silent? series the, the paul merton series that was on bbc um silent comedy i think it was called um and neil brand created that soundtrack for that that series um okay and i, re- I remember i recorded it so i went back and found it and my god it was such a different film with that it yeah, just shows you yeah oh it's brilliant it's brilliant it's really really good <laughs> Okay, so um, we can move on. We can stroll on from Don Tootin. Um Their purple moment, um, I think, was a nice comment. I, I, I wouldn't say it was a pivotal moment. Um, well, first domestic comedy. Oh, yes, first, of course it is. Of yeah, course it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely first right. First married well life. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, husbands against wives. Yes, of course it is. Yeah. Um, should Married Men Go Home kind of follows that theme because obviously Babe's trying to get away from his wife to play golf. Um, yeah, yeah. I think should married men go home is always a little bit disappointing because I think they could have done better with the golf gags, um, with people like, it, you know, Stan on board. You think they would have done because they used to play golf a lot anyway, yeah. and and apparently Stan was always larking around on the golf course. You think they would have had better gags in there with the, you know with the golf clubs? Yeah, and it seems like something like it seems like the first film that they just made up as they were going along, like I yeah. don't know if they retired. Or, or behind schedule or something, but you know, it has yeah. that really that really nice intro that they redid in Come Clean. Yeah, um, has the odd like uh, soda, soda, soda thing from Men at Men at Men of War, which of War. You know, yeah, kind of really yeah. doesn't work as a silent. Yeah. And then yeah, once we're on the golf course, it's like okay, we've got X number of holes. Let's do yeah. X number of gags at each hole. But uh, yeah, and let's know, throw mud at each than, other. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and 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 have flappers fall down in the mud in the puddles. You know? um, well, maybe, but maybe because... actually, that's I mean that's a good point, you know, because maybe because the next film is Early to Bed, which I mean that you know I, I've talked that film to death. We did two episodes on Early to Bed, um, one with um, Randy who doesn't like it, and one with Richard who loves it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's always this huge question in my mind, is why on earth did they go down that? Or why did they go so far away from what they were creating with the characters? Um, and maybe, you know, should Married Men Go Home is a little bit um, making it up as we go along. Maybe they hadn't really thought we've got some good ideas. So maybe they thought, well, let's get a different director in um, 
And yeah, you know, maybe that's a reason for it. it could, they could have thought, let's just try something different, see if we can take him in a different direction. Um, and it just didn't. Well, I don't think it works. So, you know, some people do, some people don't. But um, that could be. I, I like it. Um, you know, I don't. I don't mind it so much. I'm not offended by it the way mm. Randy is. It's not mm. like wow, that's my favorite film. Like Charles Barr and his little. I don't know if you have this book or not. I'm holding. I do. Book, yes, Charles I do Barr, have that. Yeah, you know, which yeah. is this is my old ragged '70s copy. Yeah. Um, you know, he raves about it. And, you know, yes. maybe there's that thing. It's kind of, kind of a little bit like the third reel of Laughing Gravy that they cut out, mm. you know, where it's like, you know, let's let's explore these characters. It seems, you know, maybe a little bit too trying too hard to be insightful. I'm not sure. But I think, honestly, I think Early to Bed was done to use the set with the fountains. Ah, uh, yes, that, be. because Because yeah. that shows up, you know, X number of years ago in the Mabel Norman short, Should yeah. Men Walk Home. That's right. Right? Uh, they do it way better than... Creighton Hale and Eugene Paulette. Yes. Um, but you know, it's like, well, we've got this set. We have these round heads that, if we paint the hair properly, it's going to look like Hardy, right? Yeah, yeah um, that's right. Yeah. And, and 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 let's do that. And I think it was like it was retrofitted. It feels retrofitted to me. Like, yeah. how do we get to that to, so that we're going to have a scene where Stan is hitting Babe on the head? Because you couldn't do yeah. it. You couldn't do the other way around, right? You couldn't have Babe hitting Stan on the head. No. Right? And no. it also works because then Stan's getting his one uppings too. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but that's, true. that's my take of it. Like, they might have been a bit like, poof, how many films have we put out this year? Right? Yeah. Like, they put out, they do end up doing like 13 films. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there are a dozen films in 28, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, need a bit of breather. I, don't, I can't really speak for Emmett Flynn as a director. Mm. I know somebody wrote up a lot of stuff about him, but, but yeah. um, I know little about him. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that it was like literally you need that inspiration and you see a set. Yeah. Right. Oh, there's that set with that fountain. Yes. Well, that was a pretty good, it's a pretty good gag. We can do that better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Inter interesting. But why are we doing it? Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's interesting though, that they didn't have a single still with the fountain. That is interesting. <laughs> you know, because I, I totally agree that is probably because it only took one little idea for them to create a film around it, you know, with the finishing touch. They see a house being built. Let's build a film around oh. that. So, yeah, I, I would certainly buy that. But then they don't promote it in the film. Is that part of the film's marketing materials? It's interesting. Well, you know what? I could be totally wrong. I could be 100% wrong. I'd have no, to go no, back no. and probably read Randy's chapter on it because it might be a thing where it was the film was going totally downhill and they went, we need a better ending than this. Yeah. What if we did this? Well, they did. Right. I mean, they did do... Um, Emmett Flynn finished his uh, his stint as the director, and then he sort of exited stage left, and never to be seen again. Certainly at the Roach Studios, um, and then I think Leo McCary came in and did about five or six days of retakes, or certainly a few days of retakes. Um, and we think, I think Randy thinks that it was the ending and the start that McCary did. So that business on the park bench, which is very Laurel yeah. and Hardy, that yeah. bit was 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 brought in. And I think the ending as well, because the original ending, the scripted ending, was supposed to be, I think Stan was dragging Babe up some steps and throwing him out the window oh, or yeah, something, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so that ending was probably, yeah, a last minute, hang on, we need something better. Let's let's grab that bit of scenery that's been yeah. filling up the back of that sh shed for ages. Um, All right. Well, now you have to edit out my entire assumption about 
No, it was good. I yeah, liked it. Because... On that, <laughs> I, th- I don't. I don't know if that's absolutely true. So I think. I think it's a good. It's a good guess. I like it. It's all good stuff. Let's get Randy on the phone. Randy will know. <laughs> he won't want to talk about early to bed again. <laughs> I'll tell you that. For Randy will talk about anything for hours. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, hey, Randy, we love you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but anyway, bouncing back from early to bed. I mean, they return. They return in some style with two tars. Mm-hmm. Fabulous, yeah. fabulous. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people rate big businesses like the best, and two tars is always very, very close behind it. When you hear people talking about it, you know, it's a great show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say about two tars that hasn't already been said. You know, what I love about it is both that and um, big business have this. You know, they'll have a little five minute lead in before the big battle right yeah. so this has the stuff with the gum machine which is just delightful yes right uh, yeah. especially charlie hall like i think is that one like the first time charlie hall comes in as a meanie uh he's he's the landlord in leave him laughing isn't he um but uh it's one of his it's one of his sort of yeah his first roles as a as a mean as a meanie what a great word that yeah is. yeah <laughs> and he's just great just because it's like you get you know great big babe and little charlie hall right and, and yeah. you know babes cowering you know from this guy right <laughs> so it's it's you know i think you know it's pivotal just in that it brings it puts charlie all in yes one of his first really strong roles and you don't really see him really see him in double whoopee right yes that's yes. about his next big role there yeah in the silence so he has like kind of like three important roles really in the silence when you look at it if you consider leave him laughing yeah. Um, he's a pie guy. Oh, I take it back. The pie fight in Bella Century. So he has like the smaller. Ah, yeah. so he's setting the seeds, yeah. right? Yeah. Like as the pie man, right? But yeah. you know, just that really nice self-contained. Yeah. It's like a little five-minute short. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it is. And and the same with um, Big Business, where it's you know the first five minutes are devoted or whatever to yeah. just selling trees and it going badly. Yeah. Fade out and then fade in on Finlayson, right? So. Um, yes. Yeah, it just takes everything about Battle of the Century and your darn Tutin and you know, cranks it up to eleven. And, yeah, yeah. and there's nothing it doesn't doesn't work about it, right? I love I love the bit with the gumballs where obviously babes uh, coming off worse, so they send Stan into the fray and he and he sort yeah. of he does that little skipping run onto the pavement with yeah, yeah. You're, you're flirting with death, son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You, you won't hear those kind of lines in the, in the talkies. Yeah, and then and then he makes a hash of it. So it's up to um, is it Thelma Hill. I can't forget the lady's name. Who? Um, yeah, I think Thelma Hill, the, the ex wrestler. Rolls up her sleeves. Ex wrestler. That's right. Rolls up her sleeves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorts him out. I love it. It's just so good. It's really, really good. Yeah, I love it. And then just the way that they craft those um, those endings. How it as with Big Misses, it starts really sedately and slowly, and it just builds gradually and builds gradually and there's he hits him he hits him back he throws that and hits somebody out and it just grows and grows and grows to that crescendo at the end it's, it's just it's superb craftsmanship it's just really really great well and also the very specific laurel and hardy structure of you know okay you hit me with a tomato hmm what do i do about that Yes, I'm going to go do this, right? Yeah. Like it's it's, 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 it's nothing's nothing's a rush. Nobody is is fierce. It's like okay, yeah, you're going to play that game, are you? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, now they. I'm going to watch you hit my friend and squash that into his face. I'll watch. Oh, you're doing that, are you? Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. all right, no, well, all right. <laughs> we'll have a think about what we're going to do now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
is brilliant. Are you going to stand for that? Say, listen, if he'd have said one more word to me, I would have... <laughs> oh. Now let that be another lesson to you. <laughs> Say, listen, don't you think you're bounding over your steps? What do you mean, bounding over my step? <laughs> Why, he means uh, overstepping your bounds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now let that be a lesson to you. And so, uh, and so, then we come to yeah another pivotal film. Another, they're all pivotal films. Habeas Corpus. Yeah, yeah. Habeas Corpus, the first film with the synchronized score. Yeah, and, and that's, a good one too. It is a good one, actually. Yeah, it, and I, I really enjoyed these episodes um, with the synchronized scores because I was able for the first time to actually bring in some of the original sound to the podcast. Um, yeah, and. A lot of the time, well, most of the time, unless unless you are somebody like Randy, I mean, I don't know how you are with it, Chris. That you you are really familiar with those 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 tunes, and you know what mm -hmm. the tunes are called, and you know how it relates to the action. I got no idea; I hadn't got a clue. It was it it kind of oh, worked, yeah. and it was in, it was funny and interesting. But it once you know what those tracks are called, um, it brings a whole new. It's a gag in itself, you know, and it, we, oh, yeah. you miss you it, miss so much. Yeah, there's the term Mickey Mousing, right? Where, yeah. uh, you know, the, the song that you're playing would be a popular song or a familiar song that plays into, you know, the, the gag or the action on screen. And, and yeah, these things are full of them. I'm not I'm not like Randy. Or there's another another fellow named Richard Finnegan. I don't know if you know him or not, but he knows everything. He has like the uh you know, cutting continuities and all the the film list or sound, yeah. music listings for every film. All the, kind all of the thing. Q sheets. All the yeah. Q sheets. So thank you for the word. Um, but <laughs> um, but you know that there's like, you know, what do I do with just a photograph? That kind of thing, you know, yeah. when you yeah. know you know, when Babe's wife leads them and things like that. And there's a yeah. lot of that in there. Right. Yes. But um where where'd you get that hat? In, yes. That crops uh, up a lot. Yeah. Again. And horses, horses, horses. Like, who knew, right? Like, yeah. I remember like hearing hearing those songs years later, going, "Wait, that was a song." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it, it is brilliant, and it was so nice to be able to put that in the podcast and to actually say. And, and we talked about it, we discussed it, and then I played the bit of music, and I think it just shines that spotlight on those tunes and how important they were, certainly to contemporary mm -hmm. audiences who probably got the jokes. Um, but yeah. today, you know, we, we kind of we miss out on that so much. So yeah, it's lovely to do that. And this is why I'm looking forward to the talkies because I can bring in the audio, I can bring in Babe's voice and Stan's voice and Finlayson and everybody. So it's just going to be hopefully a, a lot more colourful and um, and fun. <laughs> I, I hope. Well, I like what you've been doing with the Robert Youngson clips. Oh yeah, yeah. At the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah I like to introduce the film. That's brilliant. Yeah, I wish I'd have done that a, a lot earlier. It, it, it didn't sort of um, occur to me until uh, a few, quite a few films in. But that for for a lot of people, those were people's gateway into Laurel and oh, Hardy. Yeah. So they're quite a nostalgic. I've, I've heard from people saying that's a real nostalgic trip for them to hear that voice. Is it Pete Smith or whoever whoever it is? It does the you know the voice at the start. Um, so yeah, it's um, the closest thing we have to audio from a, a, a lot of the silent films, really. Even though, they, though oh, yeah. it's not contemporary to the film. 
Um, well, that was definitely my gateway, like the Robert Youngson films, because you couldn't see the silence, right? Yeah. And then those would show up on TV every now and then. It was a whole new world. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we move on to uh, to We Four Down, which is pivotal to you because it's one of your favorites. Yeah, if anyone wants to know my opinion of it, go back and listen to the, what I did about that. <laughs> exactly. Right? But, but uh, you know, a couple things about that is it's got Leo McCary all over it, mm. right? Um, it's got uh, a great soundtrack. And like you were talking about Leave Them Laughing, not having the sound of laughter, now it does have the sound of laughter. Yeah, yeah, that's right? true. And which, is, yeah. which is contagious, right? So an audience laughing along with, you know, a film that's laughing already. Yeah. is yeah. Um, pretty spectacular yeah you know yeah. so so you know having that understanding of sound at that point and uh, but it's weird because i think it's one of those films that and we can maybe touch on this later i was wondering what silence wouldn't work as a talkie and i don't think this one would there, right, and i okay. think it's because because the thing at the end with doing the pantomime Oh, yes. needs to not have the reality of sound to it. Yeah, that's true. That's you, know, true. you know what I mean? Yeah, I probably yeah. can't articulate that any better than that, but I, yeah. I kind of don't think it would have been, like almost any Laurel and Hardy film would work as a talkie, except for Liberty, because the same problem with Harold Lloyd's Feet yes, First. which that's is, a good hear, point. You don't want to hear people, you know, screaming in horror, you know, <laughs> yeah. when they're Constantly. up yeah, you that's know. a good that's a good shout. Yeah, that pro that would probably be top of my list. Yeah, that, I don't think that would work at all as a talkie, but actually it works as a bloody brilliant silent film. Um, oh yeah, and and it's kind of, it's not it's not a pivotal film, but it's a real standout film, isn't it? Because of the um, the nature of it. Well, it's the only one like it, right? It's the only yeah. high and dizzy I can think of that they did, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Is. I mean, we had a little bit of it. We have it in Hogwild, of course, don't we? High and dizzy. Um, I think after that, you have nothing but trouble, but it's rear projection, right? But Liberty is interesting because uh, you know we 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 think of it as the outtakes, the the the, the pants swapping scene, which I adore. I think that is just so good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that little bit of risque nature of, uh, I know what yeah. you guys are up to, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just think well, it's, well the risque, the risque innocence of it. Yes, yeah, because right? it's it would, totally it would, it would never occur to these characters. Yeah, you know, Stan's really just kind of like, oops, but Babe's really embarrassed. Yes. But it's just about having his pants down. It's not. There's no implication beyond that, right? <laughs> yes. But no, Liberty, great, great, great film, and I think the boys really carried off that thrill uh, comedy really well. So I'm, I'm glad they didn't do any more of those because I think that would have been too much. Because I think they they really milked it in that film. But it wasn't over milked, if you know what I mean. I don't. Th I think if they they kept on doing that kind of thing, it would have been a little bit tiresome in the end. Yeah, it's not their forte. No, you know, because you needed the athleticism of Harold Lloyd, right? Yeah, because like, yeah. you know, Lauren Hardy used. If there's never any bones that these guys yeah. are using stunt people. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like it's pretty. It's pretty obvious, right? The whole reason thrill comedy works is you believe that it's yeah. You know, the guy. You believe it's the Harold Lloyd character climbing up, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because Lloyd is going up when he's doing these things, whether it's safe yeah. last reverse. Stan and Babe are just trying to stay on the same level and go from point A to point B. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. But so it doesn't, it doesn't really build. It gets a little bit more absurd yeah. along yeah. the way, right? But it doesn't yeah. really build. It's just not, yeah, it's not their forte. It's not their, yeah. where they should be. <laughs> but, you know, the, and I guess it makes sense that they didn't have the internal logic to go, well, why don't we wait for the elevator to come back? <laughs> 
right? Yeah, yeah, all that happens is the elevator goes down, right? Well, it can come back up, right? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, let's sit here for a while. Um, I guess maybe that's how their brains work, but yeah, not not really, yeah, where, yeah, Yeah. and and the the Lloyd films, of course, they always had those very clever gags where he would get caught up on something or something would open unexpectedly and he'd slide back in, you know, all those really kind of original gags which keep that moving a lot whereas i think liberty is a little bit more um samey i suppose you know in, in an affectionate way because i do love it i think yeah. it's a, i think it's a great film but uh yeah it was it was a one-off and, and rightly so i think and then we move into um to wrong again which is lovely because it is very different i'd like wrong again because it, it is very very different so lots of different gags um and just the whole kind of premise of putting a horse on a piano is ridiculous. Um, yeah, and they and they know it's ridiculous, which I which I think is genius. You know, the stands like, no, he didn't say to do yeah. that. No, <laughs> which is just but, great. Uh, but yeah, apparently, I think Everson says something about it being inspired by Machine on the Lou. Um, mm. I don't know about that. I'd have to go back and look. I don't think anyone. I don't think Lou McCary was watching a lot of you no. know, French surrealism at the time he might have been but yeah. um but yeah it's 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 a brilliant film because it's just it it's it is so absurd yeah right but again it's all about the characters right the characters accept it yes <laughs> you know? yeah. it's just like yeah okay you know hardy's got a reason they're twisted <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> and um and yeah it's it's uh it's just a super enjoyable film and it just has a little nice touches i always like the um the broken statue. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you want to talk about risque stuff, right? Just the you know the sta- the broken statue and Stan spending about three minutes trying to figure it out. <laughs> and, it's, right. and it's very Harry Langdon in a way, right? Yeah. And it's interesting to see when they do that. You know, years later in the haunting, we will go. That's yeah. just a total throwaway. It's just like, eh, it's they yeah. put it back together wrong. Wah, wah, you know, versus <laughs> giving you know the star of the film an opportunity to yeah. play with the idea, right? Yeah. That's like the greatest metaphor for the Fox film situation I ever saw. Yeah. 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 And that's that, that beautiful moment though, where, where babe realizes he's broken it and he's trying to pick the pieces up, but he can't bring himself to pick up the ass. <laughs> so yeah. he has, he take his jacket off and cover it over. Cover the bum cheek there. <laughs> it's just, it's just really nice. Cause it says so much about his character in that one little moment. Yeah. It's just lovely. It's also, really. it's also probably the most punishing film to, to babe, right? It's just like, oh yeah, we. Yeah, you know, I, I can't think of anything where he's taken more <laughs> of a of the brunt of things. Right? Yes. And it is interesting because it's like you can't do that. You couldn't do that to Stan. It couldn't be. It couldn't be a thing where Stan's no. neck is caught. You know, on the on the leg of the piano, it has to be Babe, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, again, it's 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 all character all character driven. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. It's very. I mean, it's yeah, it's brutal on Babe, but. but I mean, I, I had the, I'm trying to think where I had a conversation with about this one, but um, there there must have been, you know, we've, we've talked about this on social media as well, but how they did that piano gag, because that's mm-hmm. not rest, that's not resting on Babe's back. There's no way in this world that's resting on Babe's back. So there must have been some kind of cantilevered thing that, that tipped it up and took the weight and stuff. But just yeah. so well done, so so well done. Oh, I'll I'll leave that to people who yes don't want to just enjoy the film. We don't need to, but we, we don't need to know exactly. We don't need to know. Yeah. Um, but exactly. what what is interesting about Wrong Again, I think, as well, is this is a film that when you look at the action between the boys, 
there's a lot of talking that goes on in that film. And it's mm-hmm. almost as if they are really gearing themselves up for the, for the talkies at this point. And I don't I don't know whether that is a, a conscious thing, but there's a they're, they're having multiple conversations um, more than they yeah. usually do, you know. And it's just quite an interesting little. Is this a stepping stone? Here? Are you are they get, getting themselves ready to having that kind of dialogue? It it may have been, or I wonder if that was just natural evolution, right? Mm. So from wrong again, we have about five shorts. That's my wife. Um, which I love uh, a, lo- a number of people. I think think it's fairly you know mediocre. I love that's my wife because it's that little risque nature of the dancing scenes, which is just perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. And then we have big business, and again I've talked big business to death because that is just it's well it's a superb short, isn't it? You know we did uh, again. Um, I think it was Randy and and Richard, um, and we discussed the uh, the wrong house um, story from Mister Roach. Um, yeah, I think it's a good story. It's a great. It's a great story, but it does make sense now. And funnily enough, in issue four of the Laurel and Hardy magazine, which is coming out in just a few weeks, we are focusing on big business. So, um, oh, excellent! We will be we'll be covering some of that ground again, um, and with some wonderful images as well. So, um, yeah, um, if anybody I'll wants put to that on my holiday yeah, list, get it on there. Absolutely, it's a great one for Christmas. I'll, a good Christmas read. I'll put it under. Yeah, I'll put it under my Christmas tree that I just bought from those two gentlemen. <laughs> tore down my front door <laughs> um and then we have uh we have double whoopie of course double whoopie i think is is good because it is i think it is quite different to to most other films of theirs um hmm. it has a you know just, just a different feel but really it's quite fresh and good in that respect um no. i'm just always slightly disappointed by the ending i think it, it ends a little bit too cheaply for me it just tails off yeah. a little bit with a bit of a let's have a bit of a you know a, a reciprocal destruction type of fight and that'll do um it it does feel like something if they had more time they do re, they do retakes yeah yeah you know yeah. that if it, like they, we were talking about with with early to bed it'd be like you know what let's just uh you know come back in a couple of days with a better idea because yeah. Yeah. It just feels like, you know, okay, all these things are happening and then, you know, and it builds. It's like, it doesn't have a story, but it does have momentum, Yeah. right? And then at the end, it's like, okay, well, what do we do? And it's just kind of haphazard. So I'm yes. totally with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, which brings us, and, and you know, they're, they're great shorts, but I, I kind of get the feeling with those ones that they're just now eking them out. Uh, they get it, they're gearing up for, for the sound, for the talk. Is they're, they're not really pushing any boundaries with them. Great shorts. Absolutely love. I love Bacon Grabbers especially. It's one of my favorites. Um, but it's, I just have the sense that they're kind of tailing off, um, you know, just just getting them out of the way, ready for the talk. Is... They're all really different. Like Double Whoopie, you don't really see. I, I guess it's close to From Soup to Nuts, you know? Yeah, so it's not, yeah it's not kind really of. really overly familiar territory. Um, bacon grabbers. I can't really think of anywhere they've got that job to do and they have a confrontation with somebody. So it's, it's a little different. Um, so is Angora love, but I, I, cause it is their first boarding room since leaving laughing, Yes, but they all feel like they're, they are a bit rushed. Um, they're all great, but I think like, I know Angora love, like you said in your intro is shot in like six days or something like that. So, yes. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a bit of a quickie, but, um, it's not really, you don't feel like it's a, it's a tailing off, but it feels like it's a little bit of the same period of their purple moment and should married men go home. Yeah. You know, where it's, it's, you know, 
really good, but not great mm. stuff, right? Especially yeah. following big business. Well, yeah, I mean, anything, I suppose anything from big business feels like it's tailing off, doesn't it? I suppose that's probably um, slightly unfair to, to judge it on that basis, really. That's a nice little uh, nice little moment to bring it to a close. Um, and, uh, I mean, thank you so much. for You've spent a lot of time with me over these last, uh, these last few days. <laughs> and more more than been... with my wife and dogs. <laughs> but it's been a real treat. It's always a treat to chat with you, Chris. It's been great to catch up with you again. And uh, thanks for taking this time with us. It's been lovely to hear the dogs moaning and shaking <laughs> in the background. <laughs> They're That's bored. always a treat as well. They're bored. Of course. Of course. Well, I'm sure the listeners probably are as well. So yeah, exactly. Point, we'll hear them moaning in. <laughs> at that point, we will call it a day. So thank you so much, Chris. It's been great. And uh, yeah, let's not leave it too long before we catch up again. I'm, I'm all, you know how to get a hold of me. I'm always here for you, Patrick. Wonderful. For all the best. Take right. care. Take care. He is a great guy, isn't he? He certainly is. You know I like him. I hope you've enjoyed this last look over our shoulders at Stan and Ollie's silent adventures. Thanks so much to our good friend from Toronto, Canada, Mr Chris Sagan, and that really does round off our coverage of The Boys' Silent Period, Season 1 and 2023. We've covered so much ground since Episode 1, we've seen Stan and Babe's teamwork and comedy emerge and develop, and their characters and relationship blossom. But this was only the beginning. I do hope you'll join me next year for Season 2 as we explore The Boys' sound shorts. I've got some incredible guests lined up and some fascinating bonus episodes too. You won't want to miss a single one. Don't forget, if you want more podcasts, you can access exclusive episodes by joining me on patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And uh, that includes a range of other benefits as well. Most important of which, of course, is showing your support for the podcast and helping to keep it going. Make sure you visit laurelandhardyfilms.com for all the back episodes uh, and also the info on the Laurel and Hardy magazine and our upcoming book releases. And so huge thanks again to our guest Chris Sagan. Thanks to the Bohunks Orchestra for the wonderful music. And thank you to you for listening and for all your support, your messages and your friendship. And until we meet again for season two, it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Goodbye from him. Goodbye. And a very goodbye from me. Goodbye.